Welcome to the Next Step Community Church. If you're here and you're new, I want you to know that whether you slept on the park bench next door or in the penthouse across the street, you're welcome here at this service. I'm grateful that we get to be here together. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I want us to focus our minds on this Christmas message that God would speak to us. Now, here's the thing about Christmas. For some of us, Christmas is a delightful time, a time where we get to enjoy and celebrate, and it's like, oh, the lights, we hope for snow. It's just so beautiful, and it's lovely. But for some of us, Christmas can be a little bit painful, can it not? For some of us, Christmas is a reminder of loss. Last year, my mother passed away um, just before Thanksgiving, and so um, each Christmas is a reminder uh, that she's not with me. It's, a, it's more acute um, during this time. But I suspect I'm not the only person with losses here um, during the season. And so does the Christmas message speak to us in our pain? Does it speak to us in our loss? I think it does. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And in Luke chapter 2, there are so many beautiful nuggets of truth that we need to be reminded about Christmas, not least of which that God is with us even during our pain. More than that, but not less. And so, if you would stand with me, we're going to look into God's Word. So, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, you'll have it in your bulletin. By the way, if you have a bulletin, we've thought about you. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's cool. Just go ahead and open your bulletin. The scriptures are there. The points that we're going to make are there. You can fill in the blanks to follow along because, quite frankly, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. So let's just go. Let's go and uh, look into God's word and ask him to reveal beautiful things in it. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. So I want you to see three main ideas or three observations that we see in this text about Christmas. 
And at the end, I'll give you the big idea for today, but I want you to follow along. Now, if you're here and you're like, oh, you know, I just came because my wife invited me and my husband or friend or whatever invited me and you have like no desire to learn about, I just want you to know that what we learn here is pivotal and transformational for our lives. So I want you to check out some observations that we see here. And the first thing I want you to see is, uh, what do we learn about Christmas? I want you to see this, that Christmas is not a myth, but a fact. Christmas is not a myth, but a fact. So right there in your first point where it says, what do we learn about Christmas? I want you to put under there in the blank space, not a myth, but a fact. Now, I, I want you to see this in verse two. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Why would Luke put down? This is the first uh, registration when Quirinius was governor. I think one of the reasons why Luke uh, does this is because he's trying to remind us that this is true. Now, I wonder if you guys have heard of this movie uh, or a series of movies that George Lucas wrote. It's kind of popular. Maybe you heard it. It's called Star Wars. <laughs> have you heard of this? It's like a big deal, right? Okay, so George Lucas... So Lucas like invents this entire like universe and all this other stuff. And the way he begins the movie, the way he starts this incredible story is he says this, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, why does Lucas open up this idea of this? I mean, there's going to be nine movies nine movies. Only two of them are going to be any good, but nine of them. And I know some of y'all are like Star Wars people. Listen, keep that to yourself. That's like, at best, three movies were any good. Okay. So, so a long time ago in far, far away, Lucas puts that in there because he wants to remind us, this is not true. This didn't happen. This is a myth. However, Lucas behave, uh, uh, writes this out, but Luke, the gospel writer, doesn't start with long, long ago, far, far away. He goes, oh yeah, you know the census that Caesar Augustus did? You know, you know the one, because it must have been more than one, you know, the one that when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, not the one where he wasn't the governor of Syria, the one that he was. Why does he do that? Because it's not a myth. It's true. Like this idea that um, all that Christianity is based on, it's not. Listen, it's based on history. And we see it here also, not only in verse 2, but look at what Luke does in chapter 3. Check this out. In chapter 3, Luke says in verse 1 and 2, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and 
Trachonitus, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anna. What on earth is he giving us these political figures and names? And what does that have to do with anything? Luke is establishing the story of Jesus in a direct time and a direct place. This is important because your faith is not a step in the dark. Your faith is, listen to me, your faith is not a step in the dark. Your faith is an embrace of what has happened in history. God has come and he's come and he doesn't want you to miss it. So he actually said, oh yeah, you know, Quirinius, this is important. Your faith doesn't just sit in some fairy tale. It's more true and beautiful than you can possibly imagine. So it's the first thing that we learn about Christmas. It's not a myth. Now, listen, many of you have, you know, you spent your, your first year in uh, philosophy class and you've, you've gone to uh, college and your, pa- and your um, professor told you, hey, Christianity is a myth or it, it hasn't, uh, it's not real or the Bible is untrue. It's filled with errors. Listen to me. Listen to me. Not long, long ago, far, far away, but real historical time and place because God doesn't want you to forget. He doesn't want you to forget that he's really real and he's really pursuing you. Second thing we learn about Christmas is that not only it's, a, it's not a myth, but a fact, but it's also not mindless fate, but, mind, but faithful God. Christmas is not A mindless, it's not an act of mindless fate, but an act of a faithful God. You see this in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now pause. This is heavy. Think about this. God didn't just like go, hey, I got an idea. Let's get a young girl. Um, we'll call her in uh, Nazareth, but we'll, then we'll move her to Bethlehem. Let's get her and let's make this happen. No, no, no. This was pre-planned a long time ago. But think about this. Okay. So think about this. Okay. Yeah, we got a runner in the house. No, 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 no. All right. God bless. Okay. It's okay. Okay. Welcome to the Next Step Community Church where there's never a dull moment. If you are being bored by the sermon, I'm telling you, it was in there. It was in there. I said, because I knew that like this, this part wasn't so exciting. So I was like, we need a little excitement here. So we planned that. Wait till you come next week. But check this out. So like in Micah, In Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says this. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel. Now this was, listen to me, look. Whose coming is from the old, 
is from of, uh, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when uh, she who is in labor has given birth, when the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Think about this. God told Mary. In fact, he tells Mary in chapter 1. Remember this? Chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what God says. In the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. God sends an angel, tells Mary, hey, something incredible is going to happen. Now, I have a question for you. And this is an important question. Many of us think that, like, living our lives is just like what we're just... We're just people like who are slaves to fate. Like whatever happened is going to happen. But, but God is actually in control. God is actually doing something. So now think about this. God told Mary over here in Nazareth, you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the Lord Jesus. Then he tells Caesar Augustus, because he's got to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I don't know. Um, anybody here, like, well, we're talking to the ladies now. Anybody here ever give birth, right? Like, been pregnant? No? None of you? Okay. Okay, great. I felt that was like an easy one. Okay. I was like, wow. It's like, for real? Gosh. It's like, dang. Y'all had to think about that? From what I understand, it's pretty traumatic. Okay, but think, let's think about this for a second, right? Probably not high on your list when you're like in the ninth month of being pregnant is like riding on a donkey from one town to another. I remember when I was giving birth to, um, when I was giving birth, ha, that was great. I, not that kind of church. No, my wife was giving birth. She was giving birth um, to uh, my daughter, Serenity, my oldest daughter, Serenity. And I remember I was driving down Kent Avenue. I was in my Monte Carlo, and I remember how unpaved. Anybody remember how unpaved Kent Avenue was back in the day? And so it was unpaved, and we were like, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, and the car didn't have great shocks or anything like that. And my wife was like, hey, can you avoid these bumps? And I was like, I'm sorry, it's the whole, you know, it's the whole Kent Avenue. But that was like in a modern day vehicle with shocks and struts and, and a reasonably paved road. Mary didn't have any of that. God makes the ruler of the known world to make a decree that affects the known world so that Mary can get from Nazareth to Bethlehem, because that's where the Savior has to be born. If God is working things out in Mary's life to that degree, the disappointments, the frustrations, the pain that you feel, do you think he's working in those things too? Of course he is. And this is why we have to learn this about Christmas. In Christmas, we learn that it's not mindless fate. That we're not just like, oh, whatever's, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, there's a real God at work. 
And there's a real God at work in my suffering and my loss. There's a real God at work in my painful marriage and in my difficult child. There's a real God at work in my disappointments with my career and my wishing that I was somewhere that I'm not. And there's a real God at work in every circumstance of life. It's not mindless fate. It's a faithful God who's at work in this first Christmas and he's at work in your Christmas. I don't want you to forget that, which kind of brings us to the third observation that we're making in this text about what we learn about Christmas. And the the third thing, and this is kind of where we're going to spend most of our time. And you can write this down. The lowest point, Christmas teaches us that the lowest point is still in God's highest plan. That the lowest point is still in God's highest plan. Do you see this in verse 6 and 7? Could you imagine? This is Mary. She's a young girl. She's been on a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This can't feel good. Nine months. Not very comfortable. And then it says, verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in rags, swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Think about this. So the God who hundreds of years before in Micah said, hey, in Bethlehem, this is going to happen. The God who made the most powerful person in the world call a decree that made everybody have to move. Like everybody had to get to where the towns where their family ancestry was. The God, that God, could he not have made a vacancy in a hotel somewhere? Could he not have made it a little bit easier? Listen, listen. Could you imagine giving birth There are animals around. This is as unhygienic as you can possibly imagine. This is scary. There's not not this beautiful blanket that's wrapped. There's swaddling clothes. It's disgusting. They're in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. But wait, we just said it's not mindless fate. It's a faithful God. Do you think God could have done that? And of course he could have. But God was working in the lowest point at that time in Mary's life to bring about his highest good. God will also work in your lowest point. The lowest point in your singleness. The lowest point in your marriage. The lowest point with your kids. The lowest point in your finances. The lowest point for his highest good. But I want you to come back to this because it's really powerful. Over and over and over again, this is how God works. But you know, and there's a bunch of scriptures that I have here for you on your text. You can look them up um, and study them throughout this um, Advent season so that you can be reminded. But I want you, I want to first remind you of this. That this wasn't the lowest point in Mary's life. It was the lowest point in Mary's life up to that point, I'm sure. But it wasn't the lowest point in her life. And this isn't the lowest point in Jesus' life. Jesus would come and experience the lowest of the low 
taking on a blame that he did not deserve for the sake of people who don't deserve it. Taking that on himself so that you and I could have deep relationship with God. What that means for you and me is that no matter where you are, number one, it means this, that if God will use that to draw, if God loves you so much that he'll go through such effort and pain and difficulty to draw you to himself, would you then stay away from him? Would you go, oh my gosh, that's cool, but I want to run my own life. You see, I beg you, don't let that be your response. Your response at God's effort to reach you at Christmas, I'm asking for your response to be, yes, God, I want to receive you as Lord and as Savior. But I want to also encourage you that no matter where you're at in this Christmas season, whether it's a very painful place, and for some of us, the loss is real, and the pain is real, and the hurt doesn't end. I want you to remember that the one who owns the whole universe doesn't know your suffering like I know the suffering of people who uh, experienced the tsunami in India. I know it because like I saw it in the news. I know it because like I heard that like a couple hundred thousand people died. But the, like nobody I knew was there. It didn't affect me in that way. That's not the way God knows your pain. God knows your pain like a firefighter who's running into the World Trade Center, getting you out and never gets out himself. God knows the suffering that you're going through, and he'll walk alongside and come alongside, not as someone who theoretically knows how difficult life is, but came who was a king and came as a pauper, who was a king and came as one with nothing. So in the end, this is what this teaches us. This is what all these uh, observations teach us about Christmas. That God may, well, it teaches us that God will stop at nothing to pursue us. And in him stopping at nothing to pursue us, that the pain in your life is not irrelevant or doesn't matter, but it matters to God. And here's what I want you to know about your pain this Christmas. That God may allow us to hit rock bottom to show us he's the rock at the bottom. That God may allow us to hit rock bottom to show us that God is the rock at the bottom of your life. That's the Christmas message for you. That he would be the one to, that, he, that in the pain and in the suffering, we would find one who went through more pain and suffering for our sake, on our behalf, that we might know him, so receive him. God may allow us to hit rock bottom to show us that he's the rock at the bottom. Don't forget that this Christmas, it's for you. If you don't know him, come to Jesus. He's for you. You don't believe it? Look at what he stopped at nothing to pursue you. He didn't let anything dissuade him. Receive that love 
And if you find yourself in Christ and in a real difficult moment, I want you to come back to the truth that God is with you at the bottom. He's not, you can just go, oh my gosh, this pain that I feel, Jesus, you felt, this loneliness that I feel right now, did you feel this loneliness? Yeah, yeah, he did. And he did it for you, for your sake. This quote is not original with me. Kirk Franklin um, said this quote, but I wanted us to learn it so that we can, as we go through the pain of Christmas, as we go through the pain of some of the things that we're experiencing, I want you to be reminded, I want you to be reminded that God is with you during the painful and during the difficult and during the heartache. Don't forget, because he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. He won't forget you. Christmas is proof that God won't forget you.